If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us today on episode one of the Real Life Runners podcast. We are super excited to be here with you today. And today we are going to talk about a fun topic of quality versus quantity. Yes. And quality versus quantity can apply to so many different areas in our life um, outside of running. Obviously, it applies to running. It can apply to food. It can apply to sleep, um, the time that we spend with our family and friends. Like, you know, quality versus quantity is a big, one of those just big um, things that people constantly debate about. And we're here to break it down and talk to you a little bit about it um, in relation to running and a couple of other areas in our life. But, uh, you know, let's start with running. Okay. Let's give it a, a starting point. Here. All right. Let's start with running. So, so there's a lot of different philosophies on running. Um, and just to, to open up with this, the major difference between quantity and quality as far as running is concerned. Okay, so quantity is uh, is pretty straightforward. It, to get better, just keep throwing more and more miles at somebody. Mm-hmm. If you add more miles, you automatically get faster. That's what some people think. It, it's it's true to a point. To a point, yes. But but that's that that's that philosophy. That's kind of people that subscribe to that philosophy. That's what they believe is that the more miles you run, the faster you will be. Yes, it's not a new philosophy. Lydiard had this a long time ago. He also had people running like two hundred miles in a week. So that's a lot. That's a <laughs> lot of running. <laughs> All um, right. And then, then there's quality. Right. Quality suggests that every time you head out the door, you have an exact purpose for that run. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's you're supposed to hit a certain speed. You're supposed to have a recovery day. Uh, you know, you throw a lot of running terms at this one. There's right. lactate threshold and VO2. There's a lot of weird running terms. <laughs> right, right. That a lot of, uh, you know, everyday runners aren't really familiar with. And hopefully by listening to this podcast, you guys will be, you know, a little bit more educated in that realm and will kind of help you to understand what all these scientific terms mean. Um, but so with a quality running program, you're not really overloading the miles. They tend to be lower mileage programs. Right. Um, and then each run just has a very specific purpose, whether it's speed or endurance or... Or recovery. Or recovery. There, there's a yes. very good purpose for recovery runs. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So let, so um, talking about the quantity method a little bit, like let's just get into that just a little bit. So basically the... The thought behind the quantity method is that the more you run, the better runner you will be. Which is, you know, it's the same philosophy that goes in a whole lot of things. If you do something a lot, you naturally get good at it. Right. I mean, and our bodies are like machines and our bodies are wonderful in that they adapt to the demands that we place on them. So, you know, along that philosophy is, you know, if you put more miles um, on the legs, your your legs are going to be able to tolerate more miles, you know, because... Every night when we go to sleep, our bodies repair itself. And, and you know, when you put, place a demand on the body, your body 
rises up to meet that demand and and I like that your body rises to the occasion <laughs> but it does <laughs> like here's here's six miles right. go for it and your body's like oh man that was really hard and then the next week you say okay here's six miles and mm-hmm. your body's like wait I've done this before right. I know how to do this I can do this again exactly and so on a cellular level your body makes those adaptations necessary to be able to handle the demand that you're placing on it. And that's that goes along with running or lifting weights or any sort of exercise um, or any any lots of things in general, but that we are, we're not going to get into right now. So um, so that's kind of the the basis behind the quantity method, right? right. And it completely works. And, and there's so many people. I mean, I, I've worked in running shoe stores for years mm-hmm. and so many people come in and you ask them, how many miles do you run in a week? Because it helps them know how long their shoes are going to last. Right. And when I first started working back when I was in high school, the average person that came in would say 30 to 40 miles. Yeah. And as I worked for years and years, the average person started saying mm, 15, 20 miles. And the number just got a lot smaller. Really? So people can make huge adaptations by adding an extra 5 to 10 miles onto their week. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the quantity approach of running. Okay. And, I mean, you did the quantity approach for years, especially like in college. You were running some it, really high miles. It, I, I did hit triple digits one week. That wow. Was, yeah. It was a lot. Wow. My body was not fully prepared for it. Okay. So how did how did you... How did your body respond to like the quantity method of just high mileage? Well, the quantity method has some drawbacks. And the issue is if you're not allowing your body to fully recover. Mm-hmm. So if if your main plan of getting faster is just running more, period, just more, you have to have so much sleep and so much care and like everything else has to be going perfectly for you. Right. And how, how many times does that actually happen in our life? Never. Yeah. Especially <laughs> as parents, you know or you know people that have jobs you know where you know everyone hopefully listening to this podcast you're this is real life you know like it's not we're not professional runners like we have to deal with work demands and family demands and so many other things we can't just plan our entire life around running and recovery and taking a nap in the middle of the day. Like, I mean, that would be amazing, but most people can't do that. A nap and then I'll wake up from that. I'll have a massage and then I'll have my stretch session where someone comes in and works with me. No, I don't have time for that. And a lot of professional runners that are running over a hundred miles a week, that's the lifestyle that they live. And God bless them. I mean, that's fantastic, but they're allowing their bodies that recovery time um, to just sit and not do anything and to get a massage and to have stretching and foam rolling and all of the other things associated with recovery um, that most people in real life don't have time to do on a regular basis like a professional runner would. Right, which is why I spent most of my college running career uh, hurt. Right. And that's the biggest problem with the quantity method of training is that um, a lot of runners, when adding up the miles, they don't allow that time for their bodies to recover and to heal um, because they feel like they should just be throwing more miles at it and um, you know their body will adapt. And your body will adapt, but your body will also break down if you don't give it the proper amount of rest and recovery. Yeah, and the problem is is that in order to get the extra miles, you need more time to do that. But as you start adding more miles, you need to start adding even more time to recover. 
And so you're kind of adding in two separate things. It's it's a whole heck of a lot of time demand on exactly. you. Exactly. And that's the biggest thing too, is that time demand. You know, when you run more miles, you have to devote more time to your training. And then you also have to devote more time to your recovery. So Right. I chose to just devote more time towards running and then I ended up hurt all of the time. Right. Okay, so let's talk a little bit now about the quality approach um, of training. So, in you know, if you're thinking more about quality of each run, each run counts, and each run has a purpose, whether that's speed or endurance in a long run or a recovery run. And by switching up the routine, you keep the body guessing, so it never fully adapts. Um, this allows you to continue that upward progression without all the plateaus. There's this thing in the body called homeostasis, and basically – your body always wants to achieve this state of homeostasis, which is basically like balance in the body. And so by constantly changing up the demands that you're placing on the body, you never really achieve that state. So your body just continuously tries to adapt and get better and get better, which is you know leading more to that upward progression versus the plateau. Um, it also helps to dis- decrease the, the muscle-specific demands on the body. Right. See, when you first tried to convince me that I should try this one over the quantity approach, Uh and you said, oh, (laughs) well, it's just going to constantly keep you out of balance. I'm like, well, that sounds like every day I'm going to feel exhausted. Right. But you don't. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing is actually you're you're trying to attack different muscles inside of the body. So what you're going at one day then actually gets to recover the next day. Right. It's completely different systems inside of the body. Yeah. So in general, there's two different types of muscle fibers. There's the fast twitch muscles and the slow twitch muscles. And there's actually a couple other like, you know, subsets. But for basic um, basic anatomy, that's kind of how it works. And speed work uses more of the fast twitch muscle fibers. Slower running uses more of those slow twitch muscle fibers. So by varying the types of workouts that you do, you're really training both types, which leads to greater overall improvements in speed and endurance. But you're also allowing the body to recover between workouts because you're you're switching up the type of fibers that you're targeting during each workout. And that allows the body to recover better and faster to prevent those chronic overuse injuries that runners are known for. Right. I was actually just reading an article the other day that said that the fast twitch muscles, if you push them really hard one day, that um, when you go off on an easy run the next day, that the the fast twitch ones shut down even more than they normally would Mm -hmm. because they're so tired. Yeah. But the opposite also works. If you go easy one day and then those like slow twitch muscles are tired and your body needs to recruit something, it recruits the fast twitch muscles, mm-hmm. even if you're running slower than, than you would normally need them. Which is fantastic because then you're teaching your body that, hey, like when these muscles are tired, start recruiting other muscles, which is super helpful in race situations. Yeah, especially as the races start getting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. Shoot, last few miles of a marathon, <laughs> I don't care what muscles I'm using, whatever will get me across <laughs> the finish line is the winning muscle. Yes, absolutely. So general guidelines for like a quality approach to training. Um, you know, the longer your race, the more you do need to run. So, you know, you are going to have to put in the miles here. It just tends to be lower mileage than some of the other approaches. Right. And it also depends on what it is that you're trying to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some of these things are, are more like the, the low end of this is what you need to be able to get at least to here to be, to be racing at this level. So well, if you're in like a 5k, mm-hmm. we're looking at like 10 to 15 miles over the course of a week. And right. And these are kind of the minimums that, that we recommend 
people running. I mean, anyone can pretty much go out and walk a 5K or kind of run walk a 5K. But if you want to train for these races, 10 to 15 miles a week is is probably what you need to be shooting for at minimum. You can obviously go more than that um, if you want to, but that's kind of one of the lowest levels that we recommend in training for a 5k right and then you're pretty much doubling that if you go up to a 10k so somewhere in the 20 mile range Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're up to a half marathon i mean you're racing 13 miles so the the weekly mileage total somewhere around the 25 to 30 with a a big emphasis on being able to stretch out that long run on the weekend right and then throw in some speed work during the week so that your body is getting all sorts of different adaptations absolutely and then for the full marathon um um, we would say probably 30 miles a week would probably probably be a safe minimum to go by um, because obviously the race is 26 so running 30 miles a week is is pretty low in in that you know a lot of a lot of marathon training programs have people up in the 60 to 80 miles a week range um, you can do it less than that um, but you, you're probably going to have to run about 30 miles minimum per week um, in order to get the the good benefits of marathon training. And then like we said, it's the difference between is your goal to finish the race, is your goal to PR in the race. It, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. That's a huge thing that we need to, to point out as well. Um, so anyway, so more about some of the basics um, of this quality program is, you know, each workout should have a purpose, like we said, and a defined intensity level. So talk a little bit about that intensity level, Kev. Okay. So a lot of people, when they go out and run and it, you know, they've designed their own running program. They're like, Oh, I'm a runner. I go out and I run. Every single run is basically the same. They head out some days they feel better. And so they go a little bit faster. Some days they don't feel as good. They go a little bit slower, but most of their runs are somewhere in the easy medium range. Right. And that's what a lot of the research has shown is that, you know, most people, when they go out to run, even when they think they're running easy, they're actually running at more of a moderate intensity level because that's what the body is comfortable with. That's what they've done. Um, So the body tends to default to memory and muscle memory. So instead of actually understanding what a low intensity versus a moderate versus a high intensity is, the body just kind of falls into this pattern of comfort that that of all the runs that, oh, well, this is what I usually go out and run. So this is what I'm going to run. And most of the time that is too much effort. Right. When you're when you're really at an easy level, the opening mile, couple of miles of that run should feel almost uh, annoyingly slow. <laughs> yes, annoyingly slow. Like, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really even getting something out of this. Maybe I should pick it up a little bit. No, you're probably going at the right pace for your body to get the adaptations of running at a recovery pace. Right. And a lot of this research that's being done now is really showing the benefits of um, what's called the 80-20 rule. So according to that rule, 80% of your runs should be easy runs. That's like on a scale of one to five with one being walking and super, super easy, five being an all-out sprint, most of your workouts should be like at a level two. Um, 80% of them should be around a level two, which is a very conversational pace. You're not breathing hard. You're just nice and relaxed and going easy. Right. And almost everybody, when they head out the door, runs at three. Right. And the biggest issue is that three has some benefits to you, but no one ever pushes themselves all the way to a four or five. Like five is a sprint. Four is, I I like to suggest four is how hard you could run if you only had to race one mile. 
Okay. It's kind of a, a decent guideline of, of what to do. And most people don't ever push that hard out on a run. Mm-hmm. They kind of push somewhere a little bit more than a two and maybe not even all the way to a three. They're, they're kind of into a medium range. Right. So that's kind of the basic scale that we use from one to five. Um, you know, so if you're training with a um, a quality approach, you should really be doing like three to six days per week. And of those, you know, of those days, depending on exactly, you know, what your goals are, um, you should have, you know, one to two workout days per week. And then the rest should be just easy days. You know, we, we like long runs to help with endurance. Um, so, I mean, if someone's running four days a week, Kevin, what would you kind of suggest the breakdown would be? I mean, out of four days a week, you could really, one of those should be a long run. One of those should be a workout, maybe two of those into a workout day and one easy day. Right. You know, it it really depends. You could also just have one speed day, two recovery days and a long run. Yeah. It just depends on how your body is feeling because you want to make sure you're getting enough recovery. Yeah. And and that's the thing is that every single person is different. I know that, you know, if you couldn't tell by now, we, we advocate the quality approach to running. You know, we, we believe that every run should have a purpose and, um, you know, plan out the schedules accordingly for both ourselves and the athletes that we coach. Um, so with me, I typically run four days a week. Um, I, I did up it to five at one point. I kind of go between four and five days a week, but I also like to add in strength training and yoga to my week. Um, so I, I do work out seven days a week, most weeks, you know, every now and then life gets in the way and I miss a day, but, um, you know, I aim for seven days a week and of those seven days, usually four of them are running days and two, I do one to two like strength training, weightlifting days, and then one to two yoga sessions, depending on, you know, kind of how my body is feeling that week. Cause sometimes I need more recovery. Um, so that's kind of how I tend to structure my week. Um, Kevin, what do you typically do for yours? Um, I like running as my major form of working out <laughs> and I've gradually transitioned and accepted how much, how important strength training is right. and, and how I should work to, you know, improve my flexibility a little bit. Your body just works better when it moves correctly. Yeah. And you don't need to be able to, you know, bend over and wrap yourself into a pretzel, but having some flexibility and so that you have full range of motion of your muscles is, that's how I like to look at it, yeah. is range of motion rather than super flexibility. Right. That's kind of more of mobil- along the mobility versus flexibility um, spectrum. Right. So um, I, I aim for six days of, of running out of the week because I just, I really enjoy getting out there and running for a while. I was mm-hmm. going with seven and it just gets to be a lot. And then you start a running streak and that's just mentally draining on you. Mm-hmm. So I'm out there for six. I aim for two harder days, one longer day. And then I try and sprinkle speed throughout the week. So I'll have combo days where I'll run and do a strength routine also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Kevin and I, have very different body types and very different running goals. Um, so he tends to default to more running days. I tend to default to less running days and more strength training days. And, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the difference between men and women too, which we are not going to go into right now. (laughs) Um, but, but, you know, you have to basically find out what's right for you and your body. I've personally found that less running, um, and more strength training and, and flexibility and mobility work has led me to not only get stronger, get, and get faster, but also to prevent those those um, nagging injuries that have popped up in the past during race training. 
So anyway, um, anything else you want to say about your training? Uh, I think that pretty much covers my training. I mean, I, I follow a very standard protocol. Like my training has kind of looked the same since I was like 14 ish. No, it hasn't. You've changed it up a lot since then. The general big picture, six days of running out of the week, one long run, two speed days. Okay. How I structure everything and the type of speed and where the strength and the flexibility is. But that's my picture. And that's Mm -hmm. what I think a lot of people, when they go for six days of running out of the week, if you want to have a more running emphasized approach, six days of running with a long run and two speed sessions out of it. And everything else is easy, easy running. Mm -hmm. The key is everything else that I've been putting into it. The the working on mobility, the working on, on strength, Mm -hmm. not just upper body, but lower body and hips and everything. There's so much that gets added into it. Yeah. And, and, and you can do all of that now, which is good. You've kind of figured out a way to integrate that into your program without making, you know, requiring two to three hours every day for your training. Well, that's the, that's the key is you have to cut a little bit off of quantity so that you can get all of the quantity and get the full benefits of it. Absolutely. So how does this topic of quality versus quantity apply to our overall health? All right, so there's a lot of different ways that quantity can actually show up. The The first way that we're going to look at this is how sleep falls under the category of quantity versus quality. Right. So the old guidelines of eight hours of sleep per night. Um, it's might, a very old school quantity approach. It is. Um, you know, at, that's kind of what we've been told growing up is everybody should get eight hours of sleep per night. Um, but the new research that's coming out has has like kind of says that our sleep needs vary and each individual's need can vary from like six hours of sleep per night to nine hours of sleep for my per night. Um, you know, so eight is kind of right, right there in the middle, which is why eight gets thrown around there because it's a right. lot easier for a doctor su- to suggest you need eight and you need eight mm-hmm. and you need eight than to actually go in and figure out what each individual person needs. Absolutely. So, you know, that window six to nine hours of sleep per night, um, for most people, more than nine hours can then start to actually have the opposite effect and make you feel more tired. How do you feel when you like oversleep on the weekends? Oh yeah. If, uh, if, if Angie ever gets up and she's got breakfast going and is taking care of the kids and just lets me sleep, I feel miserable if I'm in bed for longer <laughs> than nine hours. Yeah, it's true. And I'm sure other, you know, I'm sure you guys have probably experienced this as well. You know, you get, you know, 10 hours or 12 hours of sleep sometimes, sometimes like, I don't know if when you guys do that, because I don't know the last time that's ever happened for me, but yeah, no, any mom out there is <laughs> Clearly laughing at the yeah, whole idea of people are like, 12. uh, what are you talking about? Or nodding like, yes, she let her husband sleep in and get the right, extra sleep. Right, right. Well, I mean like, you know, back in college when you could like sleep in and... Oh yeah. When, when you hadn't slept for like a week because right. you had midterms and then you just slept for 12 hours. But then That you, doesn't fix it. No, it doesn't. You wake up and you're still tired, right. you know, and it doesn't make sense. But, um, so anyway, so that's kind of one of the things that, you know, if you do go over that nine hour mark for most people, it it can have, start to have the opposite effect. So while the quantity of your sleep is definitely important, the new research that's coming out is showing that the quality of, of the sleep that we get is even more important. Um, so it's showing that basically our bodies have this natural 90 minute 
cycle or 90 minute rhythm. Um, and this can also vary from person to person. 90 minutes is kind of the average, but it can really vary from like 75 to 90 minutes. Um, and that's the time that it takes your body to go through one full sleep cycle of going through light sleep, deep sleep, and the REM sleep, um, which is kind of the more restorative sleep that your body needs to recover. Um, so the new research that is, is really showing that our body needs five sleep cycles per night. That's recommended for most people. Um, some people can get by with four, but five, five tends to be what a lot of the research is showing is, is ideal for most people. Right. And when you talk about the different sleep cycles, everybody has gone through this where the alarm goes off and you have no chance of waking up <laughs> because you're basically so far into the middle of like a deep sleep portion right. of your cycle that, yeah, I, there was, I'm sure there was an alarm, but I didn't hear any of it exactly. because you were just out. Yep. So, you know, if, if you're going on the five sleep cycle recommendation and if you're the kind of person whose sleep cycle only takes 75 minutes, you only need six hours and 15 minutes of sleep per night to complete the five cycles. Whereas if you are a 90 minute sleep cycle person, you know, that's uh, seven and a half hours of sleep. So it's one of those things where you need to kind of test out what your body needs, um, you know, and, and kind of start playing with it. You know, I usually recommend um, trying to aim for seven and a half hours of sleep because that's five sleep cycles of 90 minutes each. Um, and then, you know, you kind of play play with it from there. Like one good way to kind of figure it out is to figure out when your body naturally wants to wake up and see how much time that is, you know, um, assuming that you have the, the right sleeping conditions and everything. Right. And once your body wakes up, get out of bed. Like this one kills me all the time. Mm -hmm. If I'm like, oh man, wouldn't it be nice if I just slept for another 10 minutes? The answer is almost always no. It would be a terrible idea That's to sleep true. for another 10 minutes. When you wake up, your body said, hey, I'm ready to get out of bed. So let it actually get up and get out of bed. Yeah. You mean like if you're waking up without an alarm, right? Right. If you wake up without an alarm and your body wakes up, there's a reason why you just woke up. Yeah. And you should probably agree with your body and get out of bed. Yeah. Like some of us will look at the alarm clock and say, oh, yay, I still have 10 more minutes to sleep. But really, your body doesn't need those 10 extra minutes. Oh, yeah. If you ever get up right before the alarm, mm -hmm. you get that like that five minutes where you wake up and the alarm hasn't gone off yet. Yeah, get out of bed because those extra five minutes before your alarm goes off is just going to put you in a terrible state of mind. Okay. So um, how can we improve the quality of our sleep? So some of the research that's that's out right now is showing that there's a lot of things that can affect the quality of our sleep. Um, so number one would be light. You know, you're going to have better sleep if you have a darker room. So all of the sleep researchers out there pretty much advocate dark, dark rooms. You know, the light blocking curtains. And light blocking curtains are amazing. Everybody <laughs> go out and buy those right now. They are pretty amazing. And this is especially important for people that have um, jet lag or do shift work. Because, you know, people that work overnight, it's really hard for them to get good quality sleep during the day because the house is brighter. Right. The house is brighter. There's stuff going on outside, which slides right into point number two here mm -hmm. of noise. Mm -hmm. During the night, your neighborhood's probably pretty quiet. And during the day, you know, the neighbor's gardeners are out there and doing stuff. There's cars driving down the street. Right. 
it, it that doesn't help at all you need some quiet you need some dark that really helps you actually sleep sleep correctly it helps your body actually restore right and other things that can negatively affect the quality of your sleep include pain you know people that have any sort of chronic pain um, people that have anxiety uh, hormone imbalances can affect the quality of your sleep. Any medic, certain medications that people take can a- affect the quality, um, especially antihistamines, certain prescription medications, and also antidepressants. I thought han- antihistamines just knocked you out. They can, but it's, you know, just because something helps you fall asleep doesn't mean you're getting better quality of sleep. Ah, good point. <laughs> and then um, some antidepressants, uh, one of the side effects can be insomnia. Um, that's kind of a, a common side effect of some of the antidepressants out there. Well, that can't help the depression. No, definitely not. Um, and then other substances that we consume as well. Oh, yeah. So you've got caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, some people can completely drink a cup of coffee and then go lay down and fall asleep. Right. I'm going to guess that that's not the greatest sleep that they're having. Right. Well, you know, every individual has a different tolerance level to caffeine as well. And it also depends on how much they drink and how late in the day they drink it. And how much they're body is used to having caffeine flowing through their system probably absolutely absolutely because there is definitely a tolerance effect of caffeine you know your body does build up uh, a tolerance the more caffeine you drink typically all right and then the other big one is alcohol a lot of people think oh i have a little drink at night and it really helps me fall asleep which is true it might help you fall asleep but it might not help you get good sleep at all exactly so some people think that they sleep better but you know the whole point of sleep is to help the body kind of reset itself and there's normal repair processes that go on in our bodies where your body's repairing some tissue or muscle damage that you do you know throughout the day just by living and when you drink um, too close to bedtime your body and your liver especially have to work to detox the, the alcohol process the alcohol so your body's working on you know processing that alcohol it doesn't have as much time and um, effort to do the regular repair processes in the body that it's supposed to be doing every night while you're sleeping. Yeah, I know if I ever have a drink too close to bed, like my heart just doesn't ever calm down over the night. Like my overall heart rate is like... 10 beats higher than it should be Absolutely. all night long. Yep. And, and I wake up in the middle of the night all sweaty. Like mm-hmm. it's, that's not good sleep. I have the same exact experience. Like if I do have a little too much to drink, then I do, I wake up, I feel hot. I, I wake up multiple times per night, you know, usually to go to the bathroom, but you know, it, but it's interrupting your sleep. So, um, and then, obvi- and then nicotine can also have an effect on the quality of the sleep that that people get. So what are some um, practical ideas that we can give to you to help you improve your sleep? Uh, Well, we've covered it. Go buy the blackout curtains. Right. You need those. Yeah. So dark, (laughs) darken your room as much as possible. Oh, this one's a good one. Avoid devices for an hour beforehand. Yes. So many people do this. They're, They're on their phone, they're on their tablets or whatever it is. Stop staring at screens for an hour before bed. Yes. There's a lot of research out there right now that are that is showing that especially that blue light um, that we get when we look at screens on computers or iPads or iPhones or Androids or whatever it is you use, whatever technology you're using, especially that blue light is especially disruptive to our natural sleep cycle and rhythm. Hey, make sure that the room is nice and quiet, that it's a nice temperature for you, nice and cool. Yeah, most of the um, research out there says that like 68 to 70 degrees is even even down as as low as like 62. Um, we don't keep our house that 
that cool, but That's we... Because it would be virtually impossible to keep our house that cool. <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> South Florida in the summer. Um, and there's also electric bills, you know. That. Yes. But so we typically try to keep our... We definitely turn down the air at night versus versus the day. So, you know, try to keep your, your house cool as cool as you can. Um, it also helps, you know, to have the fan going so that you just kind of generally keep the room cool. Mm-hmm. It just feels like the air gets stagnant and hot anytime you don't have the circulation. Plus, that helps with a quiet room mm-hmm. is the uh, the sort of background soft noise yeah. really helps, helps smooth things out. That low level of white noise, absolutely. Um, if you are going to drink alcohol, we would suggest to finish drinking two to three hours before bedtime and also drink a lot of water while you're drinking the alcohol. Um, I usually try to do at least a one-to-one ratio if not a one to two, um, to have like, you know, at least one big glass of water for every, you know, glass of wine that I drink, um, or maybe even two glasses of water per glass of wine, um, just so that your body's constantly flushing out all of that alcohol out of your system before you lie down. Right. Um, and then make sure that you have a good bedtime routine. Uh, this, this works for everybody. You know, I, I know that this works for our kids and it, it works for us too. Of If there's always the same routine that you go through before you get into bed, your body knows, oh, it's time to go to sleep. And it really helps you not just lay there in bed thinking, hmm, I'm not asleep yet. And once you start thinking about it, like sleep is such a weird thing because the more you try to fall asleep, the harder it is to actually fall asleep. Absolutely. So have that rhythm, have that routine so that when you lay down, your body just knows, oh wait, it's bedtime, I'm going to fall asleep. And if you're a mom like me, you know that you're constantly thinking about a million different things. Um, so one helpful tip is to have a pad of paper next to your bed. And before you go to bed, just write out, all the stuff you need to do the next day or anything that you're thinking about. Like, you know, there's always things that pop up like, oh, I forgot to do this. Oh, I forgot to do that. I got to remember to do this tomorrow. So if you have a little pad of paper by your bed, just get it, write it all down before you go to bed. And that's going to just help to kind of unload your brain every night before bed and allow it to relax and not have something weighing on it that you, oh shoot, I hope I remember that tomorrow. You know, you you got it on a paper and it's there for you. That is an awesome tip. That is a really good takeaway tip. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I am a am a guy, and so I just shut my brain off. Is kind of how I go to bed. <laughs> I still don't understand how you do that. I'm working on meditation to help me with that. Okay. So really fast now, we're just going to see how the quality versus quantity approach also applies to parenting and relationships in our life, Um, because as we know, quality time is super important, especially with our kids and um, with our relationships with our partner or our friends, um, any relationships we have, like it's, it's so much more important in my opinion to have quality time versus just spending the quantity of time with that person. Right. When you're with somebody, try actually being with somebody. So I teach high school and one of the most amusing things to me is to go down to the lunchroom and see 10 kids sitting around a circle table, all facing each other, all staring at their phones. That drives me insane. No one is talking to each other. And the best part is they're actually on their phones texting the person on the other side of the table rather (laughs) than just actually talking to them and looking them in the eye. Like have a conversation. Like we live in such a distracted society. Like everyone is on their devices at all times. Like you walk down the street and people are staring at their devices. Like God forbid you, you see people do it all the time. They're in their cars driving and looking at their devices, which is so dangerous. Um, but we're just so distracted all the time and your kids 
can feel it and they know when you're distracted they know when you're not paying attention to them and they're gonna get attention in some way so right usually not in the most positive way right if they want attention you're sitting there next to them and instead of really listening to them or playing with them or whatever you keep looking down at your phone in your lap Mm -hmm. they're gonna do something to make sure that 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 attention goes over to them absolutely okay so here are a couple quick tips that we have for spending some more quality time with your kids schedule it Put some actual thought into when you're going to be able to do it. Schedule some time to be with your kids. Even if it's just five minutes, put some actual time down. Right. And number two is actually be with that child. You know, don't like put your phone on the other side of the house or put it in your bag like and be there. Look them in the eye. Listen to them. Just be there with them for that amount of time completely without distraction. Right, which is which is your phone. If you got a smartwatch, that, that one gets me when my wrist things at me to not look down and look at my wrist when I'm actually sitting there like trying to read a book with the kids Mm -hmm. that's a huge thing and they notice it like you can watch them like when your phone you know when your watch bings that they look right at it and then it distracts them it distracts you it takes away from the whole experience right and the older one is starting to sigh when she can hear my wrist buzz at me it's true all right and uh and I think uh finally here um be who you are you know, be silly, be loud, be calm. If you're more of a serious person, then be a more serious person. If you're a calmer person, be that. Be who you are with your kids because your kids can tell if you're just putting on a show for them or if you're actually being the the person that you are while you're with them. Yeah, authenticity. They want you. They don't just want an actor in there. They want you. Right, yeah. Don't just act like you care um or care (laughs) yeah actually i mean and and most people like parents care of course they care but we're just so distracted by life and technology and the the fast pace of our society that like you know everyone's trying to multitask and and do everything at the same time but that just leads to more of a breakdown in our relationships with people and um so yeah be be you and be there for your kids or for your spouse or for your partner or for your friends you know when you're spending time with the people that you love actually be there you know put your phone away and and be there and it's hard to do and I'm working on it I I know this is it's tough to do this but um it is so worth it and I'm already seeing the benefits in in my relationships all right. I think that's what we got for today. Don't want to uh, go too much quantity and make sure that the uh, podcast here still has some quality to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was excellent. So hopefully you guys like what you heard. And if you did, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe so that you can be notified when all of our new episodes come out. We're super happy that you're a part of this with us and we will talk to you soon. Bye.